Good morning, everybody. How we doing? You guys look good. <laughs> I, uh, my name's Caleb. For those of you who we haven't, uh, we haven't met yet, I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome to those of you who are in the overflow room. That's awesome. Hope you're having fun over there. Uh, I know that some of you were you know, kind of coerced uh, to be here, and you kind of don't know what you're in for, but just hang in there. I, I believe that you're in for something special, and that maybe, just maybe, God might even show up and say something to you. But this is going to be a fun morning together. All of us, for, for all of you, I have a question for you. Um, how do you feel about earthquakes? <laughs> it's kind of a weird question, right? You're like, I'm for them. You know, no, no. Uh, but... But they're a real part of life. Did you, know, did you know that there was a big earthquake already today? Uh, like a 7.5 in Papua New Guinea. How many, if you just had to take a guess, how many earthquakes do you think have already occurred today? Because I looked it up. Five, hundred, actually 125 earthquakes in the world today already. Uh, 3,700 already this month, including an 8.2 in Chile. And then the subsequent aftershocks. And then you know about the 5.1 that happened not far from here. And um, I actually have family in Arizona who believe that they are just one big earthquake from oceanfront property. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> As if somehow California will break off into the Pacific Ocean. Uh, and I'm like, bring it on. Because then we have two coasts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> We're, we're the new Hawaii desert dwellers. Take that, you know? Enjoy that. <clears throat> but they actually believe that. My wife is from Washington, and uh, so she had never been in an earthquake. When we moved down here to Southern California, she was kind of nervous about it, and so we went through the, the drill. Hey, if this happens, uh, if an earthquake happens, you know, some people have the school of thought. You go into the door frames, uh, but if you have a swinging door, you're kind of screwed. So um, <laughs> find your way underneath this most sturdy table. And so during that 5.1 earthquake, this is what I saw. <laughs> yeah, Hillary, uh, after the, the ground stopped moving, Hillary texts me this picture and going, now what do I do? Uh, <laughs> and so she actually said that when the earth started to shake, she was putting Jack down for a nap in his crib, and her first instinct was to jump in the crib with him. Uh, <laughs> Because that's how we feel, though, isn't it? Like, there's, there are these reminders when the whole earth shakes that we're not in control of everything. And you kind of feel like a little kid, like, like I don't know what to do. This is, this is out of my control. I, I can't fix this moment or situation. I don't know how this is going to go. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a scary thing. The, when the earthquakes were reminded that there are some things in life that we can control with discipline and planning and all that kind of stuff, and there are other things that, that we can't, that are bigger than us, that are beyond us, that, that we, we ourselves cannot control. Even, even though we can build the, the buildings with the springs and the bunkers, and you can, you know, the, the secret getaways, and you can load up on all the canned foods and all that kind of stuff, there's still some things that are bigger than, than us. And I remember my mom did that. My mom, she was one of those like really prepared people. And so she had us go through earthquake drills in our house. We're like, mom, we did that at school already under the desk. I get it. She's like, no, 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 but we're doing it at home. And so we walked through like, okay, pretend the earth's quaking. We're like, oh, the earth's not quaking. No, 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 come on. This is where, where do you go? What do you do? And then she would walk us into the garage and show us on the shelves where all the canned food was. 
and the toilet paper and the flashlight with the extra batteries. And we're just like rolling our eyes at this craziness. And then I saw the food on the shelves and I saw green beans. I was like, mom, I don't do green beans. This is like (laughs) nine-year-old Caleb here. And she's like, you will do green beans. If we can't get to the store, you will learn to love green beans. I was like, I don't know about that. I don't, I, you know, I hear Twinkies have a good shelf life. Uh, we, could, we, could do, we could do this thing. But all the preparation, all the planning, it can be for naught when things really get shaken up. An earthquake does what an earthquake does. It shakes the foundations of life. And what you are building your life on will be exposed. Jesus said something about that when, uh, when he was walking on this earth. In Matthew 7, he said, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and winds beat against the house <coughs> and circumstances of life come and illness comes and sickness comes and devastation comes, he says, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. Because when the rains and floods come and the winds and the circumstances and chaos of life beat against the house, it will come down with a mighty crash. So in other words, you can build your life on a foundation that lasts or on short-sighted, kind of self-serving, immediate gratification kind of Stuff. But all of us will go through difficult times. All of us will experience hard circumstances and pain in life that exposes what kind of a foundation we're laying. And I know that most of you already understand what I'm talking about because you have lived a little while and you have felt some degree of pain. And maybe you know what it is to lose someone who's really close to you and how disorienting it can be. Or maybe you know how it feels to not be able to get pregnant. And you have this vision for your life that you were building it on. And then it it just, it's not playing out that way. And and it tests the foundation of your life. Or, Or maybe you know what it is to lose your job. And this is all that you've known is this career. And now what am I gonna do? Or maybe you just had a job change, a career change, and you're in a totally different place now, and you have to relearn how to do this. Or, or maybe you did have a kid, you had your own kid, and now you're looking at this kid or these kids and thinking, the decisions that I'm making in my life are having a far bigger impact now. It's not just on me, but there's a ripple effect in the lives of these other people, and it's making you think a little bit more about how you live, about what kind of a foundation you're building for me, things really got shaken up, uh, and when I was in my mid-20s, I had a quarter-life crisis. I had, uh, I had been the golden boy. I was the, thir- I was the first of three kids. I was the oldest of 11 grandkids. I had been the captain of all my sports teams. I had been the example setter, the good, the good guy, done everything first, the ones that other people, the one that other people looked to, and then all of a sudden, I had a marriage break apart. And she chose divorce. And I thought, I don't know what to do now. Because all I've known is having this image, this reputation of people looking to me, and this life that was going up and to the right. And I don't know how to do this. And I was humiliated, and and the foundation of my life was shaken. 
God was, was generous with me. And a few years later, I married Hillary, my beautiful wife now. But the moment, like literally a couple, two months after we got married, she gets a phone call. Her, her mom has pancreatic cancer. She died three months later. This her mom that she had spoken to every day of her life, whether by phone or Skype or whatever, talk about shaking the foundation. And then after that, for three years, we tried and tried and tried and couldn't get pregnant. Over three years. And we had this view of family and everything else that shook the foundation. And God has been generous to us since then and given us a kid. But those kinds of things test and they make you evaluate, am I building my life the way I think it should be? Am I doing my own thing or am I building a life on something that is bigger, something that will last? It's interesting to me that the story of Easter that we celebrate today hinges on two dramatic earthquakes. Did you know that? The first one happened when Jesus, the moment Jesus died. You see, Jesus had been this crazy popular figure. Everywhere he went, people followed him. He did miracles. I mean, it was, you can't even imagine someone more popular or more famous for that time. And yet, the people who followed him, the people who believed in him, they, they changed their tune after a while because he didn't end up doing all the things that they expected him to do. They expected him to free them from this oppressive Roman government that the Jews were under the thumb of, and he didn't seem to be doing that. So if they eventually gave up on him, and he died on this cross virtually alone, all the thousands and thousands of people that he had healed and helped were not there. And instead, the religious leaders who were threatened by him because he was taking the attention off of them and their religious kinds of ways, had him killed on a cross. And the story goes in Luke, it says, or in Matthew, it says, and when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The whole earth shook and the rocks split. I'll tell you what the curtain thing means in just a minute. Verse 54, then the centurion, who who was like a high-ranking Roman guard type guy, he was overseeing anywhere from 800 to 80 uh, different Roman guards. So he's there with the people that that work for him. And they saw this thing happening to Jesus. And they saw the earthquake and all that had happened. And they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. That's like a uh uh-oh moment. You're like, um, that just happened. I'm not even sure what to do with that or how that computes, but something is happening here. The moment he breathed his last breath and hung his head, this whole earth started shaking. And these guys that had just been doing their job, but they probably were a little bit skeptical, look at this scene and they think, this guy was for real. This was it. This is the deal. And they didn't know, but the religious leaders knew back at the temple what had happened, that the place in the temple where there's this huge, gigantic curtain that's 60 feet tall and four inches thick, that the famous historical guy, Josephus, he had said that they had tried to tear this curtain before with horses and they couldn't tear it. In that moment, when Jesus hung his head and the earth quaked, the curtain tore all the way down in half. As if to say, the divide between this holy place where God is and the people is done with. 
There's no more division between God and his people. There's no more divide. That Jesus on this cross dies and takes away all of our sin and all of our shame and the separation between God and man, between the creator and his creation. Romans 8 says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what we're celebrating at Easter, that every sin has been forgiven and wiped away. Death, the death of Jesus means that sins are forgiven. His death means that sins are forgiven. And when the earth quaked, it, shake, it shook up everything. And your sins, your past, future sins are wiped clean. Some of you are like, yeah, that sounds nice, but I don't buy it. You don't know what I have done. You don't know what I have been through. You don't know what I came in here thinking about. I haven't talked to God in so long. I haven't related to God in any way. I'm too far gone. Friends, it's just not true. Look at this next verse. You know this one, even if you've just watched football. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then the very next verse goes like this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here's how condemnation works. You're expected to behave a certain way, and you don't, and so you have this sense of shame and someone calls you out, and someone makes you feel less than, and someone makes you feel like you will not add up and measure up, and that there's something fundamentally wrong with you, and that you won't get this thing right. That's condemnation. And so when you experience condemnation, you begin to think internally, uh, there's just, uh, there's no hope for me. I can't get this right. That person's correct. I'm a mess. I'm just going to be more of a mess, uh, because that's the way they're making me feel anyway. I, there's something broken inside of me. I can't seem to get this thing right, and so I'm just going to live this way. I'm just going to go in this direction. I'm just going to live crazy. I'm just going to live in the way that makes sense to me because this standard, this expectation is, is, is worthless. I can't do that. Contrast that to the person who knows that they're unconditionally loved. To the person who feels like even when they fail, even when they fall short, that they are loved, that they can still come home. that they are not rejected or abandoned, that they still have value. Think about that person's confidence, their wholeness, the value that they, they know that they have. I have some good friends who adopted uh, two boys from Nairobi, Kenya, years back. And these two boys were orphans. Uh, they had been abandoned because their mother died of AIDS. And then their grandmother told them, uh, you kids are too much trouble for me. I can't keep up with you. I can't handle your behavior. I can't afford it. And so she had them taken and dropped off in the middle of the city where other orphans just kind of hung out at this one particular dump. And so they literally ate their food from the dump. And they grabbed old markers and glue sticks. And that's what they sniffed to try to get high just to take the edge off of their brutal existence. 
And that's where my friends found them when they came just to care for some kids at a dump. And they went through this long process of adopting these two boys. And you can imagine the culture shift when they brought them back to South Orange County. (laughs) And these boys, even though they had this nice home, this nice roof over their head, they still were, were shaped by the mentality of condemnation and rejection and abandonment. And so even though they had more food than they could ever want, they still kind of snuck some away at every meal and hid it in their rooms under their bed. And one day, even my friend came and found some hidden markers and glue sticks just because they didn't know if things went bad, if they they needed their reprieve, they needed their outlet. And it took these boys a couple of years to begin to trust that they were unconditionally loved, that they would not be rejected, that they would not be dropped off at a dump for bad behavior, that they would not be withheld from. And I know that you guys have probably not lived that way. You guys have probably never been dropped off at a dump, and yet you can probably still understand what it is to be abandoned. You probably still know what it is to feel condemnation and judgment and rejection and betrayal. You probably know what that looks like and can relate in some sense. And if you can, there's hope. Look at what this next verse in Romans says. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still a long ways off, we weren't cleaned up, we weren't good, we weren't religious, our behavior wasn't what it should be, We weren't doing the right stuff or going to the right places. And when we were in the midst of our darkest place, our worst behavior, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn you, but to save you in the middle of that, to save you. Not just your judgmental aunts, not just the religious people who seem to have it right, not just the ones with shiny, clean lives, Not just the people who have no doubts about God. No, you. That while you were still a long ways off and far from God, he came to save you. There was a second earthquake that happened Easter morning, two days later. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. How would it feel to be the other Mary? (laughs) Mary Magdalene and the the other one. (laughs) Could be a good band name, though, the other Mary. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Imagine the toughest military men doing the Bernie and you got a glimpse of it. (laughs) Verse five, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified two days ago. You're right. But verse six, he is not here anymore. He has risen just as he said he would. He did die, and I appreciate that you came to check in on him, but he is not here any longer. That earth that just shook right here, 
That changed everything for human history. That little tremor that you felt, yeah, that was the God of the universe resurrecting for you. And it took him a while because this was like the biggest twist in storytelling history. You know, it's just like the God, skin, disappointment, all these crazy miracles, and then he died. How could God die? Oh, he died on purpose so that he could raise from the dead to overcome death and sin and evil and give us new life. The biggest twist in human history. And so it took him a while, even the Marys and the disciples, to believe it. They wandered around for a while like, ah, oh, I got some doubts about this whole Jesus thing. I don't know, could this really work? Until he showed himself to them time and time again, and they couldn't help but believe. And they got really, really excited about it because this meant that there was newness of life, not just for Jesus, but for them too. They were like the people in the video that we saw, just happy, just dancing, just just, just pumped. Do you know that I was actually there uh, in that video, um, but my part got cut. Uh, I, I, was, I was that bad. Like, how am I doing? And, and then so they, they were like, it's better that they think well of you. Let's just, um, let's just cut that. But that's how, they were so pumped. They were, and that's why we celebrate. That's why Easter what it is what it is today. Because he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. So even though there is chaos in life and there is destruction in life, we can have joy. We can be happy. We can experience newness of life. Jesus' resurrection means new life. Not just for him, but also for you. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. It's a new start. It's a new way of doing life. It's a new way of being you. But the you that God originally designed you to be. And I know you're like, uh, I, I, you know, I get it. You're the professional preacher guy, and it's Easter, and you know, this is what you're supposed to talk about. But I wanted you to hear from a few of our friends who have actually had their lives transformed and wanted you to hear just a little glimpse of their story. So watch this video. I've carried a lot of uh, wreckage through my whole life and a lot of things I've done, which I haven't been proud of. And I've had every desire ever filled in my life plus more. And it always made me feel so empty. So anxiety and depression I've been dealing with since I was 19. That was my first panic attack. Many times I'd get down on my knees and try to pray to God, but um, I just felt like he wasn't listening. When I was 19, my whole world was turned upside down. I went on one date. We made one bad choice and ended up pregnant at 19. I was in such a devastating, horrible place. I um, couldn't even pray to God because I didn't feel like I was worthy. I couldn't even pray to Him to help me through... I was in the darkest place I've ever been. I would come home at night. I would lay down on my bed and just feel so empty and feel so alone. And the cycle continued over and over. I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm destroying my whole family's reputation. Everyone knows us as this perfect Christian family involved in the church. And I mean, now I'm the one messing that all, all up. I was really terrified about going to church because if they knew who I really was, they would not let me in. So I was invited to Mariners and I figured, what the heck, I didn't have anything to lose. And I was in such a dark place and feeling so much shame. I just, I came in because I was, was trying to get someone off my back. And I had no intentions of even staying at church. 
When I sat at church for the first time, um, I felt at peace. I felt warm. I don't know what the pastor was talking about that day. I don't know what message, but he stood up in front of every person in church and admitted he wasn't perfect. He admitted that he had faults and flaws. It just went straight to my heart. It's like God was just speaking straight to me that um, I didn't have to be perfect. He just loves me because I'm his kid. All my striving to be the perfect mom, the perfect daughter, the perfect wife, to raise perfect kids, be the perfect friend, all of it, was that I felt like in some way I could make up for all the pain that I had caused my loved ones. I just remember crying out to God and begging Him to free me from that weight. I just, I could not carry it anymore. I got on my knees and I asked God for help. And a lot of the pain and the suffering that I've carried was able to be released. It's great to know that I could be filled not with those desires, but to be filled with God. I felt like I was in bondage because of my anxiety and my depression and alcohol use. And God freed me of that. Now I have this picture of myself sharing my story and I'm sharing hope and I don't feel the shame. I've been looking to be whole my whole life with some type of thing to make me feel complete. And I don't have to do that anymore. There's nothing that can replace the power of God. Life will shake things up at times. And it will expose what it is that you're actually building on. What are you trying to fill that hole, that vacuum with? When life seems like it's just, it's just not coming together, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff and yet I don't find wholeness. I don't know really why I'm here. I don't have this connection with God. And if that's you today, I've got good news. It's already done on your behalf. That separation between you and God has been discarded and done away with. All you need to do is just receive that God wants to give you new life. And some of you, some of you know that this is true. You've known for a long time that there is truth to this, that there's something for you in this story. And yet for years now, you have kind of been doing your own thing for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe great reasons that make sense. You've been building your own cornerstones. You've been, you've been building on your own foundations. And, and maybe something in life has begun to expose it as not enough, that it will let you down in some way at some point. And God's been whispering to you and prompting you lately and maybe just this morning to say there's more. Maybe you need to kind of re-surrender to this God who didn't come to condemn you, just to save you, just to give you real and full life that he's always intended for you. There's no bait and switch here. He wants you to live the biggest, the most, the most fulfilling life that you can, that he has designed for you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you just to pray with me. And maybe for you, it's just like, a God, I wanna get back on track. Maybe for others of you, it's a, I've done my own thing as long as I can remember, and I want this forgiveness. I want this new life with you, God. There's no special, like, handshake. Uh, there's no 
There's no magic formula or potion or anything. It's already done. It's just a matter of receiving it. And so you can use your own words, but I invite you to use mine and just just pray with me. Say something like, God, I'm realizing that I have lived for myself and I've built my life on a foundation that is less than what you would desire for me. Thank you that you love me too much to let me keep on going that way. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for dying for me. And now, for giving me new life through Jesus. I want to live this new life in relationship with you. In Jesus' name.